and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, where you'll hear advice from experienced safety leaders on how to protect your people and business. I'm Peter Steinfeld. Today, I'm speaking with Michael Rubin, shareholder at Ogletree Deacons, one of the nation's top law firms representing management and all kinds of employment-related legal matters. Michael is a certified safety professional and an expert OSHA attorney with over 10 years of litigation experience in 30 states. In this episode, he shares the do's and don'ts of an OSHA inspection that every organization needs to know. Let's dive in. Hey, Michael, thank you for taking time to speak with me today. Thanks, Peter. My pleasure. Looking forward to talking about OSHA. No, me as well. So for starters, what are the most common misconceptions you hear from organizations about the OSHA inspection process? Well, something that we're talk about all the time is that one huge misconception is that you basically don't have rights, which you have a host of rights. And those rights are actually spelled out by OSHA itself. And then the other thing is that citations are really allegations. So when companies get a citation, oftentimes they look at it almost as if it's a formal legal adjudication. But really what it is, is it's a document setting forth allegations. It's OSHA's view of the situation. It is not a neutral judge's view of the situation. So that sort of ties back again to having rights and a bunch of options if OSHA does show up. And furthermore, if you do get a citation from OSHA. You know, speaking of those rights, if the police come into your house, come knock, and they have to read you your Miranda rights, is it similar with OSHA? Do they have to tell you what those rights are when they engage with you at first? Or no, they don't. You need to know them. No, you absolutely need to know your rights. So this is not criminal law. Miranda rights would be read in a criminal matter. This is administrative law. So when OSHA shows up, they will tell you basic information, which is the right thing to do, of course, but they will really invariably never tell you all of your rights. And actually, I was reading a trial transcript just last night preparing the post-trial brief, and I had cross-examined the OSHA inspector saying, does a Fourth Amendment apply to employers and OSHA inspections? And the inspector said, yes, absolutely. And then we went through, well, how do you tell companies you're inspecting that they have the right to deny you entry if you don't have a warrant. And basically, they don't. They'll never bring up Fourth Amendment. They may ask a company if they consent to the inspection. But oftentimes, if a company just sort of acquiesces to the OSHA inspection process, the inspection starts and that's consent. And there was never any Miranda-type reading saying, Fourth Amendment applies you have the right to deny this inspection and to refuse entry because we do not have a warrant. You won't get that. So you've got to be prepared before OSHA shows up. And that's something I do all the time. I'll speak to anyone who will listen to let them know that they have rights, what those rights are, so that they can confidently you know, navigate the OSHA inspection process. So it sounds like preparation is really prudent. People should spend time on this. So how do you recommend organizations prepare for an inspection? Well, there's some reference documents you can look at if you really wanted to be a student of the OSHA inspection process. There's something called the OSHA Field Operations Manual. There's one chapter that talks about inspections. And 
we've actually used what's written in that manual sometimes on site when we think an inspector might be going the wrong way with something. We'll just remind them that, yes, it is our right not to have a manager sign a statement. It is our right for any employee not to speak with OSHA if they don't have a subpoena. I mean, these basic rights, and they're either expressly or impliedly set out in this field operations manual. And if they do show up and you're not prepared and you don't know what to do, at minimum, can you say, hey, we need to pause this until I can get my legal representation on site? Or do you not have that right? Do you have to let them do what they want to do? This is a fantastic question. So if OSHA shows up without a warrant, what you could do is really one of two things. Number one, you could say we're inclined to consent, but we need our attorney to get here. And in the field operations manual, it does sort of instruct OSHA inspectors that they should accommodate such requests and wait up to one hour. We had one matter in New York where I told the OSHA inspector we needed to wait because the safety director was coming to the site. I was already on site. And the OSHA inspector said, well, we don't follow the field operations manual. We only wait 15 minutes. I said, okay, well, you know, we could just not consent. And in a way, you'll be waiting until the safety director gets here because you don't have any right to start the inspection until we consent. So you could go either route. You could say, ask as a courtesy for the OSHA inspector to wait. If they say, no, we're not waiting, you would say, well, we can't consent to the inspection because someone who's indispensable to the process can't be here right now. Sometimes they get frustrated with that, but ultimately every OSHA inspector understands that is a hard and fast rule that companies, number one, have to consent, and number two, if they want to delay the inspection, they can. So there's actually pros and cons of working it out, but you can use the consent that OSHA needs as leverage to getting some things that you want. Generally speaking, who can expect to see OSHA knocking at their door? I, I know it's hard to speak in generalities, but is it just bigger companies? Could it be a very small organization? Are there particular industries that need to be more worried about this than others? I've heard it said that at least half of all OSHA inspections are of construction companies and construction sites. Construction, very dangerous. You've got people working on structures that aren't completed. You're working at heights, fall hazards, all of those things. And then other industries, manufacturing, even retail, hospitality, some retail chains, if they have blocked exits, that's like a low OSHA low-hanging fruit. There might not be an injury, but those are the types of companies that OSHA usually is going after or at least a minimum inspecting. And do you recommend that these organizations doing some kind of practice ahead of time, like mock OSHA inspections, or is that not valuable? They say if you want to hit a baseball, it's probably not a good idea to go to the library and start reading about it. Right? <laughs> right. Uh, you need to step up to the plate and start swinging and seeing how you do. So a mock OSHA inspection, and we do these on occasion. I'm doing one next, one next month in Nebraska. I can't wait to do it because I get to play the OSHA inspector. But they're really invaluable because it puts you on the spot. And 
when you're in that situation and someone shows up and you might have to tell someone who works for the government, no, or no, we don't consent. Obviously, that person might not be enthusiastic about that, right? That they're not getting consent to do the inspection. So just making yourself comfortable doing the mock inspection, I think that's invaluable. Another thing it drives home, you know, you want the basics and that's what a mock and OSHA inspection is good for. It's going to hit maybe 10 to 15 items that would come up in any inspection and you'll have choices on how to react. And that's why that is something I would say is definitely valuable. Would you recommend people ever go it alone or should they really minimize what they do and engage with people who are very practiced in this, legal counsel, et cetera? Any OSHA practice, any OSHA response for a company, you must have a team. Whether a lawyer is involved or not, you must have a team. You must know at each stage what each person will do, how each part works together. The alternative is when OSHA shows up, you basically say, well, I, I have no control over this. I'm going to do whatever OSHA says. I'm going to hope for the best. And usually the best is not so great when you have that response. And then oftentimes as a result of that, then you do engage counsel or you do decide we need a comprehensive plan to address this. So it sounds like the best thing you could do in your mock inspection is know who to call. And we talk about this on the show a lot. It's like you shouldn't be trading business cards with the people you need to talk to when the emergency happens. In this case, it's kind of an emergency. So very clearly know who you're going to talk to ahead of time, know how to get in touch with them, know the process and how quickly they can be there. And then the key things that you should say to make that inspector comfortable, but have them realize you know your rights and it's okay to wait a little bit. What are some of the other very specific things people can do in that mock inspection that will really help them shine if this happens? So when we do a mock inspection, they might say, oh, there was a forklift incident. And then the inspector's walking all over the place and you're like, okay, um, that's not exactly right to do that. So really the types of things, why the inspector is there, what's the probable cause if I show up in Nebraska in September to do this mock inspection, I would want someone to ask me when I'm the inspector, what's the probable cause for this inspection? Meaning, why are you here? What's the legal justification for you looking through our work site? That's one thing. There's two other big aspects, interviews and document requests. So the inspector is going to ask for documents. But what we counsel is, you should not start giving documents without having someone, either management, outside attorney, look at the documents and make sure it relates to the scope of the inspection. So that's another thing. Why is OSHA there? Where can they go? What documents can they get? How soon can you give the documents? And then interviews, that's another big issue. OSHA will show up, they realize they want to speak to people right away because there's an element of surprise. OSHA is not allowed to tell you they're showing up under the OSHA Act of 1970 that actually provides for criminal penalties for giving advance notice. But those are the big things that you would have to go through all of this and go through it for the most part sequentially. No, that's super helpful. 
let's say it's really happening, what should organizations do on the day of an inspection? Do you recommend they do things like record the conversation, take notes, maybe say nobody say anything, everything's got to be funneled to this one person? Can you do things like that? I, I would say the default rule is that that's permissible, but I think the inspection might start going in a different direction, maybe even a worse direction, because OSHA realizes, okay, this is us against them. There's been, there is no civility here. We're getting tape recorded. They're going to use this to twist us upside down, most likely. So you could videotape. It, it can be effective, and it has been effective, at least in one matter we handled, where at trial, the inspector said he never asked anyone about a certain issue. And then, of course, like Warner Wolf would say back in the day, let's go to the videotape run to the videotape, and it was completely different. So that's one thing you can do. You'd have to be pretty courageous, you know, be like videoing a policeman or policewoman on the street. I mean, it's a little gutsy, so to say. So the way it works, when the ocean inspector walks in the door, there's an opening conference. That's where you discuss why the inspector's there, what the inspector plans to do. That's when you would go through the whole consent issue. You would say, we're we're inclined to consent to this inspection, even if, even though you do not have a search warrant, and we know the Fourth Amendment applies. Once you start saying this stuff, the inspector's going to say, okay, I need to be really sharp on this one. And you go through that and you say, we want to have a protocol so we know what we're agreeing to. And then the inspection would start. Really, OSHA, if you do consent, they do have a right to do what's called the walk around. You know, they walk around. They can take photos. You have the right to take side-by-side -side photos, same photos the inspector takes. They're generally entitled to speak with non-supervisory employees alone. What OSHA might not always appreciate to the fullest extent, or though maybe they do, um, employees don't have to speak to inspectors. It's voluntary, okay? So if an inspector shows up on a site, they don't have a search warrant, they don't have any subpoenas, you could say, I'm, I'm exercising my right to decline to speak to you. You do not have to speak to the inspector. But uh, that might be a fleeting avoidance of the interview process because they'll just go get a subpoena and then it's going to say on this day, this time, you've got to go here, you've got to speak to us. And if you disagree... You know, you've got to resort to the legal process so that sometimes it's just better to talk. Those are just some of the things. But another critical something to mention is managers have a right to have an attorney present with them when OSHA inspectors interview them. And they have a right to be prepared. And if OSHA shows up without a warrant and without a subpoena, which invariably is the case, we would instruct anyone or recommend, highly recommend, you don't sit your managers down for an interview with the ocean inspector that day. They might give basic information like, yes, this is our workplace. We do this type of work, basic information, but a full-fledged interview, we would say, we're not doing that today and we'll schedule that and we want to prepare witnesses. So they know the reason for the questions. They know what everything involves. And then ultimately, they're a lot more comfortable with the process. So that sounds like a great pitfall to avoid, which is fantastic advice. But what are some of the other common pitfalls that you should avoid during an inspection? 
Well, also making admissions. Oftentimes, companies feel, hey, if we're honest, brutally honest, this is going to help us. We're, you know, we got nothing to hide and they're overly deferential because they're scared. So you're just overly cooperative in one sense. And if an ocean inspector points something out during the walk around, for example, uh, he or she might say, these employees need hard hats. You wouldn't say, you're right, we're sorry, we'll get right on that because a number of things. Number one, you might be wrong. I mean, the OSHA inspector might be wrong. We've seen that. OSHA, again, they issue a citation. Those are allegations. There might be no overhead hazards or there might be no potential hazards to the eyes. What you would do in that instance is you would say, you might say nothing. You might say, okay, go over to the employee, say, oh, put your hard hat on and leave it at that. So whatever the inspector says is wrong, you address it but you don't make an admission. So this is the biggest mistake. I guess if I had to summarize it, I would say nonchalantly navigating the inspection process. When OSHA shows up, they are there to issue a citation to you. Remember, inspectors need probable cause to show up. So there's either been a reported injury, there's been an anonymous complaint, and inspectors are there following that probable cause and they're probably expecting to cite you. Another pitfall, so when OSHA shows up, remember, everything you say to OSHA, that is evidence, okay? It can be used in a civil matter. Maybe the OSHA matter gets resolved, and then lo and behold, there's personal injury lawsuits. And one of the first things the plaintiff's attorneys will do, let me get that OSHA file. So that is a huge, huge pitfall. And we've seen this happen multiple times. When you're getting interviewed, and questions can be leading, they can be confusing, and sometimes OSHA knows exactly what they need and want to win a case, and they're going to ask the question that way, and you're going to give it and not know it's not exactly accurate, and then it's embedded in the case and you're just stuck. Well, it seems to me like an OSHA visit is almost like a deposition, and as lawyers always say, you, you can't win your case through the deposition, but you can certainly lose it. Well, that's a very good point. You need to know in advance, and that's why we prepare witnesses for interviews with OSHA inspectors, because for any violation, there's generally four things OSHA needs to prove. They would need to show the standard applies, that it was not complied with, that an employee was exposed to the hazard and or the violation. And finally, that the employer knew about the violation or hazard or should have known about it. So should have known really is a general concept. And when OSHA inspectors ask questions, they're going to ask questions about employer knowledge of the hazard. And they might say, how close were you to this? When's the last time you looked over there? And the manager might say, I don't know, it felt like I was looking over every minute. But that might be a wrong answer. And all of a Mm. sudden, you just admitted that you had actual knowledge or at least at a minimum constructive knowledge. You should have known about it. After all, you said you were looking over every minute. Well, every minute to you might be once an hour. So you just have to be very careful and understand why these questions are being asked so you can be uh, extremely precise in how you answer. Well, let's move to the after the visit and let's say an organization receives a citation. What are some of the hallmarks of a really strong defense? Well, 
if OSHA has to prove four things, the strong defense is that at least one of those items you think OSHA cannot prove. So for example, you might say this standard was not violated, there was compliance with it, or the employer had no notice of a violation. Oftentimes it's a non-supervisory employee, let's say he's not wearing PPE, and the employer would say, hey, we just talked about this, everyone had fall protection, everyone was trained on fall protection, no one knew about this, it was right after lunch, an employee didn't tie off. That's like the quintessential defense, no knowledge, that management had no knowledge that an employee did something, and this was something that happened only was like a discreet act, and maybe just for a very quick time period it existed. We had a client, one of our real savvy clients, and we actually won that case. That was the supervisory misconduct defense. So usually to win, you have to say it's a non-supervisor, basically broke the company's rules so the company should not be held at fault. In this one matter, there were two supervisors who actually broke the company's rules and we still prevailed saying the company should not be held responsible. So as much as OSHA sometimes thinks, here we go again, another case where the employer's blaming the employee. The reality is things like that do happen. And then there's always a counter argument to that. Well, the company should have tried harder or done more or their safety culture must be lacking. There's some reason the employee felt at liberty not to follow the rule. What do you think companies most often get wrong when it comes to safety? I think not all companies, but the companies that we've seen struggle, they have a fundamental misunderstanding about what safety is. Safety has to be an everyday thing. You need to have a diverse safety training program. So really, when it comes to safety, OSHA compliance, the thing that I always think is most important is training. Training is where it all starts and ends. I think that's most important. You've got to train your workers, got to have a knowledgeable, skilled team, everyone accountable. Well, Michael, this has been a fantastic conversation, great advice. And frankly, I never thought I would enjoy a conversation about OSHA as much as I did this one. So thank you very much. Well, I appreciate that. I'm interpreting as a compliment. It is, absolutely. <laughs> so thank you. To learn more about Michael and his work with Ogletree Deacons, click the links in the show notes. Tune in next week for more expert advice to help you protect your business and people. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.